Good morning, Servants Church. Great to be together again this morning. If you can turn in your Bibles or on your device to 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to continue our verse-by-verse study through 1 Timothy and look at the first five verses of chapter 4 today. So I want to read it, and then I'll pray, and then there's going to be a, an exam, So as Josh said. So get ready for that. But let's read the text, and then we'll pray, and we'll get into it together. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth." For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Father, we pray uh, that you would help us to understand why Paul wrote this to, to these churches in Ephesus, Lord, how this applies to us, that, Lord, we would be those that make a priority of knowing your truth. They would see that and the importance of that. And that, Lord, we'd be encouraged that we know the truth that sets us free. Lord, please bring that to pass. And I pray for anyone who might be watching this today who doesn't have that liberty yet, hasn't been set free from your truth. You would indeed, by your spirit, do that work in their hearts. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So. Now the exam. If you have that piece of of spare paper and something to write with, just write uh, 1 to 10 on the paper. Just, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, number on your paper. This is a true or false exam. Are you guys ready? Here we go. First statement, true or false. God loves you exactly as you are. God loves you exactly as you are. Number two, spiritual things are eternal and good. Physical things are temporary and evil. Number three, the more you give up for God, the more holy you are. The more you give up for God, the more holy you are. True or false? Number four, God's forgiveness is unconditional. God's forgiveness is unconditional. Number five, Jesus' resurrection is only spiritual, not physical. Jesus' resurrection, only physical, I'm sorry, only spiritual, not physical, true or false. Number six, you don't have to be changed to be saved. You don't have to be changed to be saved, true or false. Number seven, only certain gifted Christians are called to do evangelism. I'll say it again, only certain gifted Christians are called to do evangelism. Number eight, You can't always know when you are filled with the Spirit. True or false, you can't always know when you are filled with the Spirit. Number nine, baptism and communion are optional practices. Did you see that? Baptism and communion are optional practices. True or false? Lastly, number ten, love is what we should do, not what we must do. Did you guys get all those? Did you write T or F next to the letter? I hope you did. Okay. You guys ready for the answers? Here we go. Number one through ten, they're all false. Every single one of those statements is false. 
Now, you might be hearing this and going, wait a second, that can't be true. Some of these things have to be true. I'm sure they are. Well, if you want to know, you want to get my explanations for the answers, you can email us and I will send you, I'll email you uh, the answers and explanations to these questions. But the reason I wanted to do this is, is hopefully fairly obvious from the text we just read. I wanted to do this because as we're talking about the priorities that the local church should have, that Paul is writing to Timothy uh, concerning the churches in Ephesus and how that applies to us as a local church. One of those priorities, as we saw last week, is the priority of God's truth. And if you remember, we saw last week that God, part of that prioritizing is God calling His people to demonstrate His truth. So that when we're to prioritize the truth isn't just memorizing facts or being able to say true or false to statements. It's actually living these things out. But also we saw, if you remember from last time in 1 Timothy, that, that God sent His Son to define His truth. So that when we're talking about the truth of God, we're not just talking about God's opinion on things. It is that, but it's more than that. We're talking about what God says is eternal, everlasting, liberating truth. And it's all based on His Son. Therefore, it's really important for us to recognize as well, as we're going to see this week, that part of making the truth a priority is recognizing and being prepared for dealing with counterfeits. Now, I'm saying counterfeits on purpose because if we just said lies, lies seem to be something maybe, well, more blatant. If someone's lying to you, it seems kind of more obvious you're lying. A counterfeit is when someone is purposely trying to make you think something is something that it isn't. And this is actually how false teaching comes in. So let's talk about this. We're going to look at three main things uh, in, this, in these uh, five short verses about counterfeits. The first we need to recognize is the reality of counterfeits. This is not some strange Christian conspiracy theory. This is something that Scripture says uh, explicitly. In fact, look at again verse 1. Paul writes, now the Spirit expressly says... In other words, he's saying there's an explicit warning from God's Spirit about these things. That's what he's saying. He's saying that this is what happens. That God has said clearly through His Spirit. Now, we don't know exactly how Paul said this to, or, or God said this to Paul. Could have been a, a prophecy through somebody else. Or could have been a, um, uh, just him kind of uh, meditating on a scripture. But he knew that God was saying specifically to him by His Spirit, listen, there's going to be these kinds of counterfeits. Now, this fits with what we see Jesus talking about often. Specifically, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there's these seven letters that, that Jesus dictates to John. The resurrected, glorified Jesus dictates to John in a vision, writing these seven letters to seven churches. And at the end of each letter, this is what Jesus says. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And in those letters, if you go back and read those two chapters and see those seven letters, you'll see that there's warnings there. Be careful from about this deception or this bad practice. Why? Because the world is full of counterfeits. In fact, the, the second thing we see in this verse is that this is an expected characteristic of the last days. Now, I'm reading from the ESV that says uh, latter, later times. Other versions say latter times. It, it, all these things are synonymous with last days. And, and in case you don't know, if this Bible stuff is fairly new to you, the last days are a reference to the time between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. Those are the latter days. And so while we're waiting for Jesus to come back and establish His kingdom completely in this world, here's what we expect. Counterfeits. 
In fact, this is what Jesus said to his disciples when they asked about such things. Listen to this in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus says, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So when the disciples asked Jesus about these last days, what it's going to be like before he comes back, his first answer is, well, first thing you need to know is make sure no one's deceiving you. It's an expected characteristic of these last days. In fact, Paul would write to, to Timothy again in 2 Timothy 4.3, listen, Paul says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. One of the reasons I, 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 one of the things that encourages me as a Bible teacher, as the pastor of Servants Church, is when people come and say, man, I'm just really challenged by what you're saying. That's a good thing. If there's never any challenge from what I'm saying, if you're always thinking, yep, yeah, that's exactly what I think, I totally agree with that, maybe you're in the wrong place, or maybe you're assuming things that you shouldn't assume, or maybe I'm just getting it wrong. Because the truth is, the scripture, the truth should challenge us. It should confront the stuff in us that needs to be conf confronted. It should call us to lives that are surrendered to and in faith in Jesus Christ. And so part of the last days is knowing that there's going to be these counterfeits, and, and Jesus warns us of this, Paul warns us of this. But also, notice what it says, in these latter days, some will depart from the faith. So we're not just talking about the fact that we are living in a world that is not necessarily surrendered to Christ. That's true. But he's talking about something specific. He's talking about the fact that, that, that the reality of counterfeits is those counterfeits have as their targets those of us that are Jesus followers. Those of us who profess faith in the living God. Again, the author of Hebrews gives a similar warning. Listen to this. Hebrews 3.12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, this is important because when we're talking about counterfeits. We're talking about that which is intended to bring it, take us away, dangerously have us depart from the real Jesus. Remember what we saw last time in 1 Timothy, as we mentioned earlier, that, 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 that God's truth is defined by Jesus. And so really, this is where a lot of the attack comes, wants us to see Jesus in a way that, the, that God hasn't revealed him to be, that, this, that, that Jesus hasn't revealed himself to be. So this is what we mean by the reality of counterfeits. It's something that we're all going to face. We don't need to be paranoid about it. We don't need to have conspiracy theories about it. We just need to be aware of these facts. So how do these things spread? How is it that, that people that are professing followers of Jesus can start believing things that are wrong about Jesus? How do these counterfeits spread? Well, notice what he says again in verse 1. He says, these things happen how? By these people depart from the faith by devoting themselves, notice, to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. This sounds a little bit hocus pocus, especially if you are not used to what the scripture says. In fact, there may be some of you listening to this are, are a bit cynical of this, evil spirits, that sounds a bit antiquated, and I'm not too sure about that. But we see in the scripture this, uh, this, this assurance that we have, or this, this reality that we have, that there are such things as evil spirits, fallen angels, demons, devils. These are things that Jesus talked about, these are things that the scriptures talked about. And, and here we see Paul saying that one of the things they do is, that one of the, the main thing they do is to bring counterfeits. 
In fact, listen, Jesus affirms the teaching of the, uh, of the book of Genesis that this serpent was actually Satan who was deceiving humanity and continues to deceive humanity. Listen, especially those who are religious. Listen to this. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verses 42 to 44, Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Now, he gets really harsh here. Listen, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do the father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's important that we recognize this, that we do have an enemy and the way he he. He really attacks us is not by, you know, causing us to have our heads spin around and pea soup fly out of our mouths. We think of demon possession that way. And obviously that can happen. But that's not what he does. What he normally does to us is lie. He tells subtle, convincing lies that make us think we're following after God when we actually are not. This is why Jesus exposes them as the father of lies. Don't miss that he's saying this to the most religious people of his day. Now, look at verse 2. He says this happens, and he describes these, uh, these people as, the, 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 these teaching of demons as coming through the insincerity of liars. Liars. People who, who mislead on purpose. Now, this is interesting. Because what we see here, and again, remember, the truth is in Jesus, that God defines His truth through His Son. And what we see is that these counterfeits, they spread through false teachers who promote false Jesuses. Listen to this. John writes this, one of Jesus' beloved disciples, John writes, For many deceivers have gone into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Heavy words. The early church was clear, all Orthodox Christians have been clear, that Jesus came as a man, that God the Son took on real humanity. He was as much of a man as you and I, except without a sinful nature and without sin. Listen to this, Peter says a similar thing. Listen, Peter says, There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Here Peter seems to be talking about those false teachers who, who say, Oh yeah, the Lord doesn't have authority over my life. Jesus has authority over my life. Or the Lord hasn't really purchased me. He's just kind of coming alongside and being my buddy. In other words, they're undermining the authority of the Lordship of Jesus. Again, that's a false Jesus. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. This is the Apostle Paul, again, talking about the, the spread of these counterfeits. Paul says to the Corinthians, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, that's what we're referring to, Genesis 3, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from uh, the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you will put up with it readily enough. And so Paul's being uh, a bit strong with the Corinthians saying, listen, do you see the temptation? Do you see these counterfeits, these uh, these uh, false Jesuses, these false Holy Spirits, these false Gospels, these counterfeits. See, we need to understand that this is what happens. This is why, listen, this is why at Servants we're so protective of the pulpit ministry. That really it's either people that have already been, uh, had hands laid on to be elders or are elder candidates or are in pastoral training. We're very selective about who teaches you guys. Why? Because there is a lot of things that come through that can be counterfeits. Again, it's not paranoia. It's not some weird Christian conspiracy theory. It's a reality. This is how these things spread. Now, he also says in verse 2, he describes these guys. They're coming through their liars, but they're also those that are full of insincerity. Some of your versions say hypocrisy. And whose consciences are seared. You guys know how this works, right? You've heard of the, the process of something being cauterized. Someone has a wound, one of the ways that they can sort of purify it or get it ready to sort of do something with it is they cauterize it. And that not only purifies it, but what it does is it, it also makes it numb. In a sense here, what he's saying is their consciences, these false teachers, these counterfeiters, their consciences are numb and they're numb because of their hypocrisy. So in other words, the, the, the spread of these counterfeits, they come through the father of lies, Satan and his demons. They come through these false teachers, bringing forth false Christ, and they come from or in hypocrisy and we might call this hard-heartedness. And this is important because it's not just the teachers who can be hypocritical and hard-hearted, it's the listeners, one of the things that we see in Scripture is sometimes God will allow His people to be exposed to false prophets. You know why? They won't listen to the true ones. Or be a uh, exposed to false teachers. You know why? Because they refuse to hear good teaching. Now, now uh, this is, please, be care please understand what I'm saying. This. I want to be careful because I don't want you to picture in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, all other churches in Norwich are teaching something bad and we're teaching something good. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I am wanting to be clear, there are churches that are healthy, that are teaching good doctrine, that are living out the truth of Jesus, and there's, teachers, there's churches that are unhealthy. And sometimes those unhealthy churches aren't just because they're led by unhealthy men, it's because unhealthy people want to stay unhealthy. They want to be under deception. That can happen. Listen to this. Paul writes this again in 2 Timothy. Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live in a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Did you get that? Everybody who says, I want to follow after Jesus, I want my life to be changed by Him and for Him, are going to experience persecution. It might be a minor marginalization. It might be being beaten or killed for your faith. But notice the contrast. He says, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worst, deceiving and being deceived. This is important because one of the things that can happen to us is that we don't want to be marginalized. We don't like to feel, feel on the outside. We don't actually want to pursue a godly life. You know what happens with that? That hypocrisy, we get deceived. And in getting deceived, we can even unwittingly be deceiving. And we can grow from bad to worse. 
Listen, I'm not trying to make you paranoid. We're going to talk about how we resist this kind of counterfeit in just a minute. But I am trying to get you to, get you to be sober-minded about this. That we have a part to play when it comes to counterfeits. You have a part to play. One of the reasons that we are committed to teaching verse by verse as a kind of the norm of, of our teaching is because I hope it helps you hold me and other teachers more accountable. Is this actually what the Scripture is saying? We want you to be able to see it in its context and go, yep, that is what the Scripture is saying. I can judge that that's something I need to hear. Or that's not what the Scripture is saying. And maybe I need to challenge John, whoever's teaching, that they shouldn't be teaching that. But we should want that. Why? Because we want to live godly lives. Notice what else he says. James chapter 1. James says, Therefore, put it away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. This is our natural default. Receive with meekness or humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. In other words, listen, when we think, okay, I I want to hear good Bible studies. I'm willing to feel convicted, but I actually don't want to change. I want to hold on to my rampant wickedness. Besides, nobody really knows about it, do they? In doing so, we have to recognize we are actually not able then to receive the Word of God. That, that that, um, That truth that liberates us. And also, we could, be, we could be in a place where I go, okay, I know I shouldn't do this. I want to hear what God says. But we find ourselves actually not pursuing what God wants us to pursue. Again, that keeps us from the truth and makes us susceptible to counterfeits. This is why the issue of conscience is so important. As we just read, that these false teachers have seared consciences. They have hard hearts. Paul said this in Acts chapter 24. He says, I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and men. Something you might want to do this week is look up chapters like Romans chapter 14. And if you read Romans chapter 14, you'll see there Paul's talking about issues that we would call conscience issues. Should uh, uh, should we eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols, which isn't much of an issue for us, but we could say, should I keep this certain diet because it might be good or bad for other people? Or should I drink wine or not drink wine? Should I have alcoholic beverages? These are what we call conscience issues, issues that there might be freedom for us to do, but we have to say, okay, can I do this with a a pure heart? Can I do this with a, a sensitive conscience that, yeah, this is what God would have me do because I want to love Him and love people around me. So, so this is important because people will land on different sides of these kinds of issues, on conscience issues, especially when it comes to things like food. And so there, there has to be a sense that we're saying, God, are you pleased with me doing this? Or are you not pleased with me doing this? Are you happy with this? Am I actually walking in love when I do this? Why do we do that? Because we don't want our consciences to be seared. We believe God's truth sets us free, and we want to have hearts that are ready to receive that. So this is how we deal with this. This is how we begin to deal with the spread of counterfeits, recognizing that we ourselves can be those that hold on to false things and spread false things, often because our hearts get hard and we start walking in hypocrisy. So now quickly, let's talk about how we resist these counterfeits. How do we stand up against these things? Look at verses 3 to 5. First thing is in verse 3 we see the first way we resist the counterfeits is receiving what is good in creation. Very positive thing. What does he say in verse 3? He says, here's what the false teachers do. They forbid marriage and they require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. 
Now, in Paul's day, there were uh, many religious people. We still have some of these today, but this was probably more the norm in the church, in the early church, where people thought they were being more spiritual by giving up more things. Hey, I, I'm giving up uh, meat. I'm going to only eat vegetables. Hey, I'm giving up alcohol. I'm never going to have a drink. Hey, I'm, I'm more spiritual because I've given up all, all these things. I'm more holy because I've given up all these things. And Paul says, no, that's not the way it works. Even people would say, I'm not going to get married because I'm more spiritual. I'm going to stay single. Now, let me say something clearly about singleness. Sort of off subject, but important to know. Singleness is a blessing. It's, you're not somehow less of a person if you're single. And if God calls you to be a celibate, someone who never gets married, there's a blessing in that. And it doesn't mean you can't have good, intimate friendships and family relationships, okay? Just know that. But there's a difference between saying, yes, I think God's called me to that, and saying, I'm more spiritual because I've decided to stay single. That's what these people were doing. And Paul's saying that's false. That's a false teaching. No, God says, listen, that marriage is not society's invention, but it's God's creation. And it's a good thing. For those of us who know that we're not called to be single, marriage is a good thing as God chooses to provide that for us. Listen to what the scripture says. The author of Hebrews writes, let marriage be held in honor among all. That's whether you're married or single, you should hold marriage in honor. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. The way we honor marriage as married people is to be pure in our relationships, to be uh, one woman, uh, uh, one woman men or one man women. You know, we should be committed to our married partner. But also, if we're single, it means that we avoid fornication. We avoid uh, things to, to sexually stimulate ourselves because we honor marriage. This is what God has it for. This is one of the reasons why there's, there's been culture wars in the last couple decades about a culture that's shifting away from traditional ideas of marriage and family and a culture that wants to do what it wants. And Christians saying, wait a second, we need to keep those traditional ideas of marriage and family. Now, I'm not interested in culture wars, so I don't think that's the way to go. But I am interested as a pastor of God's people to make sure that we see what God's made is good. That we receive what's good from what God's made, what's good in creation, including in marriage. But also, he doesn't just talk about marriage here. He talks about food, which is important to me because I'm a bit of a foodie. So I really want to know what this is about, right? Notice what he says. He says that they require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. Now, if you go to Acts chapter 15 later on this week, read Acts chapter 15, you'll see how the first Christians, the first Jesus followers, wrestled with this kind of issue. Because the Jewish law, the Old Testament, has all these dietary restrictions. But then these non-Jewish people were becoming Christians, and some of the Jews are going, well, hey, they, gotta, they can't have bacon. We can't have bacon. They can't have bacon. And they argued about this. It was a big debate. How, how do these dietary laws come to pass? And of course, they came to a place of, no, you know what? Don't eat things that are going to stumble somebody else. And, and they said, avoid sexual immorality. These are the things they kind of came up with. Now, here's what's interesting. There were people in Paul's day that were saying, you have to keep that Old Testament diet, even though the church had said, no, you don't have to keep the Old Testament diet. There are people in our day that want to say, you have to keep a certain diet or you don't care about other people. You don't care about the planet. If you eat meat, you don't care about um, uh, other people. If you uh, eat this sort of thing or that sort of thing. And, and, and they kind of make a law that God doesn't make a law. Now, let me be really clear. 
it's, there's nothing wrong with being a vegetarian or a vegan. There's nothing immoral about that whatsoever. There's not even anything wrong doing it because you're thinking, your conscience says, you know what, I, I don't want to uh, invest in things or I don't want to eat things that are bad for my body or bad for the planet. Nothing wrong with doing that. But what is wrong is when we take that and we say, ah, this is what it means to be holy. And we say, you can't eat that thing because you're not going to be holy if you eat that thing. Paul's saying, no, that doesn't work. We need to receive what's good. Now, forgetting about what we can and cannot eat, the categories, let's talk about why this is important. Why did God create food in the first place? Why didn't He just create us like plants? We just kind of hold out our, th our, our hands and we kind of receive energy from the sun, you know? Why, why didn't He do that? Why, why did He make us so that we eat food? Not only that, why do we have so many taste buds? Other mammals don't have taste buds. Dogs don't have taste buds. They eat like they do, but they don't. Why do we have taste buds? There's, there's reasons. Listen, there's three reasons why God has design, what God's designed food for. It's been designed for human development, not just survival. Three ways it helps us with development. First of all, physical development, okay? So now I want to talk about food. We're not just talking about the eating of food. We're talking about the producing of food, the acquiring of food. That's kind of why we all work, so we can eat, right? So, so here's the thing. First is, is, again, going back to the creation account to Genesis, it's physical development. Listen to this. Genesis chapter 2, God says, The Lord God took the man, that's Adam, put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. This wasn't a punishment. This is what he had to do before there was any sin in the world. He had to work. Why? Because this is how he would develop. We're meant for physical exercise. We're meant for purposeful work. Going after food isn't just going about that food. It's about the process that helps us develop. But not only that, there's a social development. He says, and the Lord commanded the man, this is again Genesis 2, saying, you shall or you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Now I want you to think about this because uh, we don't know for sure, but I can imagine there was more than just three or four different types of trees. I can imagine in the Garden of Eden, there was everything that we can imagine, things that have plants and trees that have gone extinct now, and there's every variety of food. I, I personally think there was a bacon-flavored fruit. That's just my conviction. But there was everything you could possibly think about. And people, you know, Adam and Eve could go throughout the garden eating something different all the time. Why? Because as they experienced that goodness of God together, it brought them closer. It's no accident that every great thing we celebrate revolves around a meal. It's not an accident that many, in many cultures today, if a contract's going to be signed or a treaty going to be made, that revolves around a meal. Why? Because God intended food to be something social. It was something beautiful. The early church did this. There's something that there's a social development that comes from food. Lastly, listen, there was a spiritual development. Listen to this. Again, Genesis 2. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. In other words, he's, there's this beautiful garden, everything they could imagine to eat, to enjoy together, to grow together physically as they maintain it, to grow together socially as they do it together. But also, listen, there was one tree they couldn't eat. And I bet you there was nothing different about this tree in the sense of it wasn't made of poisonous fruit. It, it wasn't like some uh, kind of thing that just kind of changed their DNA when they ate it because there's something special in there. No, I think it was just one tree that God says, that's the one I'm going to say you can't eat. Why? Because then they had a spiritual choice to make. They could choose to say, we trust our Creator God who loves us and gave us all good things. 
to say no to that thing. This is where fasting comes in as well. When we fast and we say, God, food's great. We love food. We love to celebrate food. We love to to, to socialize around food. But we're going to choose not to eat food so that we can give that resource to somebody else, which is what the Bible describes fasting to be, Isaiah 58. When we do that, we're saying, God, we are choosing to grow spiritually. We want to do this. When we choose to, to, to know we have a freedom to eat something or to drink something, but we choose not to do that with someone who doesn't have that freedom, we are choosing to say, I'm putting love for this person over my own liberty. I'm growing spiritually. So this issue of food, this issue of not forbidding food, of having the right attitude towards the things that God has made that are good in creation, receiving those things, this is really important. It's really important for us to recognize that, we, that, that these are good things that God wants us to receive. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God, we want you to be seen. We want to see you even through our meals and our marriages. So that's the first way to resist counterfeits. We don't follow what the false teachers did. Instead, we receive what's good in creation. Next, verse 4, we also want to be giving thanks to the God of creation. Taking the time to give thanks. Look at verse 4. He says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it, was, is, if it is received with thanksgiving. Now, is this teaching that we should pray before our meals? Yes, but it's more than that. It's good for us to stop and give thanks, to recognize that this comes from God. And this is tough for us, isn't it? I don't know if you realize this or not, no matter who you are watching this today, or I shouldn't say that because maybe someone's watching this from a country that's quite poor, I don't know. But for those of you who are in the West, if you're in England watching this or in America watching this, you may not realize that you actually eat at the same level that a king ate in the first century. We don't just kind of live to see that we can get one meal to strengthen us to live another day. We eat what we want, when we want. We have a problem of eating too much. We throw away, I think the statistic is we throw away about a fourth of all of our food in Great Britain. We have so much. Now, now the, the thing is, is that we have, because we have so much, I think we're not really that thankful. We don't take the time to say, God, we want to give you thanks You're the one who gives us, as it says in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift. You're the one who gives it to us. Interesting. A lack of thanksgiving, listen, is what Paul says is the identification of fallen or unsaved humanity. Listen to this. Romans 1.21, for although mankind knew God, yeah, there's a God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You know one of the ways we can build up resistance against the counterfeits is to take the time to give thanks for God for the truth and the good gifts that he's given us. Hey, I've been studying this book for 32 years or more. And, and, and studying this book, there's so many things I don't understand. Man, I've taught through the New Testament twice all the way through. Some books three times, some books four times. And there's so much stuff I still don't understand. But you know what helps bring clarity is when I give God thanks for what I do understand. God, thank you that Jesus is your son. God, thank you that you sent him to die for me. 
God, thank you that because I believe you've sent your Holy Spirit to dwell in me. God, thank you that you're going to get me from the point A to point B in heaven, and I'm going to know you face to face one day. God, thank you as we sang that the promise I have is forever I'll love you and forever I'll stand. God, thank you that you're doing this work. Oh, there's a bunch of stuff I don't understand. I don't always understand when the Holy Spirit's working, when he's not working. I wrestle with some of those things. But here's what I do understand. Listen, what I do understand is that God is as good as he's shown himself to be in Jesus. And taking the time to give God thanks helps me resist counterfeits. Lastly, look at verse 5. In verse 5, he says, For it is made holy, that is the food that we give thanks for, is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. Now, this is not saying that somehow the, the, molecular, the molecular structure of the food changes when you pray. I heard a Christian comedian talk about like people do that. They give God thanks to, cut for, to make up for their bad food choices. God, take these potato crisps and turn them into a carrot on the way down. You know, it's ridiculous. That's not the way it works. No, what we're talking about here, what Paul's talking about here is that God has has not just created all good things, that God has revealed himself, and not just in his creation, God has revealed himself through his word. Big W meaning Jesus, John chapter 1, verse 1. Little W meaning scriptures, all what the scriptures say. This is the inspired word of God, this book. It's without error. It's, It's exactly what God wants us to know. It has all authority. And so what he's talking about here is that, that, that as we give God thanks and as we seek this God who has revealed himself to us, we're prepared to resist these counterfeits. Listen, when he says uh, it's made holy by the word, when we talk about the scriptures, listen, when we, when we seek God in the scriptures, we're seeking to align ourselves with what God wants. How do I know that God wants me to let go of my freedom? So so that I can be sensitive to someone who doesn't think it's a freedom. Because the scripture says really clearly in Romans chapter 14. Check it out. See, how how do I know that God has actually said, I can eat all things? Well, lots of verses. Look at Acts chapter 10. Look at Acts chapter 15. It's what it says. That God says all things are, we're able to receive those things with thanksgiving. Just as we read right here. You see, when we, we seek God, we want to know, God, what do you actually say? God's word aligns us with God's will. And prayer, listen, works with that in tandem. Prayer, when we seek God through prayer, we're seeking to align ourselves with what God is specifically doing right now. See, prayer is more than just a, an exercise where we kind of verbalize what we know. It, 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 can, it is that, but it's more than that. It's, it's when, listen, prayer is when we say, God, I want to walk with you today. I want to know how what Paul wrote or Jesus said or John wrote or whatever, I want to know how that translates to right now in my family, in my workplace, in my relationships. And so I'm asking you for that wisdom. I'm trusting you to show me how this works. You see, this is how we uh, this is how we uh, avoid counterfeits, how we resist counterfeits. We seek what God's true will is. Listen, Jesus says this. I'm going to give you two things that Jesus says. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, first verse ever memorized, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Interestingly, in the context of Matthew 6, he's talking about material things, food, shelter, clothing, that the things that we all need, he says, your father knows these things, but make your priority the kingdom of God. Seek God 
first, the God of revelation, the God who's revealed his kingdom through the King Jesus. But also, listen, Jesus also says in John chapter 15, listen, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Can you see how Jesus is talking about how the word and prayer come together? Now, now understand this. This is not, uh, this is not what we call a a substance principle. This is not an idea of like a car, you fill it up with petrol, and because it has enough petrol, it moves forward, then it gets out of petrol, and you fill it up again. That's not our relationship with God. This is a contact principle. It's kind of like, if you've ever seen a monorail train that kind of, as long as it's connected to the track, it can go forward or backward, it can do what it needs to do. That's how it is with us. We're more of a contact principle. As long as we are connected to Jesus... His words are connected into our hearts. We're receiving those. We are connected to Him personally. We recognize we're only able to approach the Father because of Jesus. We're abiding in Him. You know what happens? Then we know how we ought to pray, and then we pray, and God answers, and there's joy and protection against counterfeits. Putting it really simply, listen, it's when we hold fast to Jesus and we walk with Jesus that we're protected from counterfeits. See, when I talk about the priority, making the the priority of God's truth, making that a priority for the local church, I'm not talking about just memorizing Bible verses or just understanding important doctrines. That is what we need. But we also need to walk in these things. We need to walk with the God of the Word. It's important that we know the Word of God, but only if we're going to walk with the God of the Word. This is what protects us from counterfeits. Sometimes, too, one of the counterfeits that can come on is a legalism. Uh, I put my hand up. I've been guilty of this. Where I'm, I'm too judgmental about other believers because I've sussed out what the Bible actually says about this thing or that thing. And they don't kind of agree with me, so therefore I'm thinking they might be wrong. Now, I might even be right on paper, but I'm wrong in spirit because I'm taking a secondary thing and making it a first thing. I'm actually going against God's Word by dividing His people when I don't need to. So so it's important for us to to not think if someone disagrees with us, they're a counterfeiter. Unless, listen, it has to do with the person and work of Jesus. And we know him by walking with him. Let me me close with a story. There was a young man in a a village in China who was fascinated with jade stones. Their beauty, he wanted to know how they were formed, what what, what made them important, why they were so intriguing. And so he goes to the, uh, the oldest, wisest, ancient man in his village, and he says, teach me about jade stones. And so the little man says, okay, and gives him a jade stone and puts it in his hand. He says, hold fast to this. So he holds fast to this jade stone. And then the old man begins to tell the young man about all kinds of stuff in the world, in the village, uh, about, about nature, about everything except jade stones. And this goes on for not just days, it goes on for weeks. And as it's going on for weeks, here's what happens. The young man begins to get frustrated. He's wondering, why doesn't he tell me about jade stones? I want to know about these jade stones. So finally one day when the young man comes to see the old man, he doesn't have the, the courage to tell him, but he is feeling frustrated. And the old man puts a stone in his hand and he, and he holds onto it. He goes, wait, this isn't a jade stone. You see, what the old man was doing was telling him, if you will hold fast to the most important thing, you'll understand why it's important. You'll recognize when someone's giving you a counterfeit. Jesus is the most important thing. It's as we hold on to him and walk with him that all these other things are added unto us. You may have failed the exam. 
You may have gotten a whole bunch of those things wrong. But you know what's really important? Don't get Jesus wrong. Put your faith in Him and Him alone. The church doesn't save you. There's no government that will save you. It's Jesus that saves you. Hold fast to Him and let all the counterfeits pass you by. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending us Jesus that we don't have to guess at your truth. And Lord, we, we don't like that there are so many counterfeits around and it is tricky for us to know what's right and what's true, but thank you that you've given us your more sure word so again, we don't have to guess about your truth. Lord, help us to be those who abide in your word, or abide in you and your words abide in us, Lord Jesus. Help us to be those that, that are, are seeking you in prayer. Help us to be those that are receiving all the good things you have for us. And Lord, help us to lead people into liberating truth and away from counterfeiting lies. Please, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. See you soon.